If you had asked me in the spring of 2022, if you listed some of the things that GPT-4 can do today, and you asked me, will we have an AI algorithm in our lifetime that can do these things? I would have said that might be a stretch. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm excited to be joined today by John Crone. John is a leading figure in the realm of artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's the co-founder and chief data scientist at Nebula.io, an intelligent talent acquisition platform. John authored the book, Deep Learning Illustrated, an instant number one bestseller that was translated into seven languages. He's also the host of Super Data Science, the data science industry's most listened to podcast. John is renowned for his compelling lectures, which he offers at leading universities and conferences, as well as his award-winning YouTube channel. John holds a PhD from Oxford, and he's been publishing on machine learning in prominent academic journals since 2010. In this episode, we'll benefit from John's deep understanding of machine learning to explore how artificial intelligence is revolutionizing the recruitment industry. So buckle up and be prepared to have your mind blown. John, welcome. Thanks for being here. Mark, it's my great pleasure. I love your show. You're one of the top podcasts in your industry. And so really an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for saying that. And uh, I understand you're in Paris at the moment. What are you doing in Paris? I am in Paris. I actually was, I just returned at the time of recording. I just returned from recording a podcast episode of my own. I was at the Sorbonne University. Oh, nice. Uh, recording with a gentleman, uh, Dr. Gaël uh, Varoko who is one of the co-founders of Scikit-Learn, which is the most widely used machine learning library in the world. It's downloaded 1.4 million times per day. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, it's unreal. And so, yeah, it was amazing to meet him. And yeah, uh, great episode, super nice guy. And yeah, then had an, an adventure home in the pouring rain, uh, getting back uh, to record here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it. And I just realized before we jumped into the studio here, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. You went to Wilfrid Laurier. Are you from Canada? I am Canadian originally. Yeah, I was born in downtown Toronto. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm from Halifax. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that you live near Edinburgh and I was like, really doesn't have much of a Scottish accent. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived here for like 25 years, but it hasn't rubbed off. Um, my wife is Scottish. Uh, all my kids have a Scottish accent, though, so that's all right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah. a very charming accent. It is. I like it a lot. That was part of the appeal, I must admit, when I met uh, my wife or girlfriend at the time. So, um, John, you have a really unique sort of career path because you transitioned from being a trader at a hedge fund to then practicing yoga, to then discovering data science. Could you share that journey with us? Yeah, Mark. Um, so the trading thing isn't so unusual. So I have been, for about 25 years, I've been writing code that does some kind of like numerical analysis or statistics or machine learning. So that's something that is a common thread since I've been in high school. Um, and even with the trading, we were doing sub-second trading. So everything was run by algorithms. You had to watch the algorithms trade all day because sometimes they would trade into a position. And because they experienced something completely outside of the training data, they wouldn't trade out of a position. And so you would have to manually trade out. So you're aiming to have these kind of within uh, under a second, typically within tens of milliseconds, 
you wanted to be trading in and out of a position, but every once in a while you were kind of holding it, surprisingly. Um, you know, maybe 10, 20 times a day you were holding this position and you'd have to manually trade out, you know, uh, typically within a few seconds or minutes. Um, so even there, even though the title was trading, uh, uh, even though my title was a, a trader, I was using machine learning um, just as, um, yeah, just as I was in my PhD before that and just as I have been as a data scientist since. Now, yeah, there was this brief, <laughs> I very briefly uh, became a yoga instructor when uh, I couldn't stay motivated about being a trader anymore. I did that for two years after my PhD and making money for its own sake with no other kind of reason. I, I just, I couldn't continue to stay motivated about it. And um, yeah, it was actually, it was through a yoga practice that I realized that I was, I initially got into yoga just to stretch. Um, I was, uh, I was at that time doing a lot of um, boxing and kickboxing. And so I had, um, yeah, I thought that yoga was kind of just like stretching, but it allowed me to be present. And just for these fleeting seconds, initially, I was like present. I was like, holy smokes, like I'm looking at my hands on a yoga mat and <laughs> I'm just like here. Um, and it <clears> was through that that I realized I wanted to be involved in some kind of work where I could be present and be happy. And um, yeah, so it took some time off after trading to, to be a yoga instructor. Um, but uh, yeah, then found data science. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, uh, I've definitely never heard that particular origin story before. I think that that is unique. And by the way, when you say about, I can tell you're Canadian. It, uh, I wasn't sure until then. Listen, uh, so am I right? You are a high frequency trader. Is that the right term? Yeah, yeah. High frequency trading. So that's the kind of the sub-second trading that I was talking about yeah. where, um, yeah, so you're, you're typically uh, trading into um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the high frequency you're, yeah. you're like the inverse, the, the polar opposite of high frequency trading would be the kinds of, um, equity fund managers typically who are buying a stock, uh, typically a large volume of a, a single stock and potentially holding onto it for years yes. or decades, maybe in the case of, um, of like a pension fund. Yes. Um, and yeah, so high frequency trading. Yeah. We were yeah, aiming to be all of, all of the algorithms that I had, we were aiming to be in and out of a position within tens of milliseconds at the most. Wow, that's incredible. Have you read Flash Boys by Michael Lewis? It's about... Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, Flash Boys came out the same month that I left trading. And so I was really enjoying reading that because it, it really crystallized for me that <clears throat> the, the what I was doing wasn't is that the high frequency trading, it wasn't really that intellectually stimulating. The, because speed was so important, the statistical models you were using or the machine learning models you were using had to be quite simple um, in order to execute uh, at really high speeds. It was really a, to, to compete at high frequency trading, you were, you were competing at getting information as quickly as possible from like maybe from one exchange to another exchange, um, either in the same country in the US or maybe across countries. And yeah, Flash Boys is the story of that. It's, you know, talking about, uh, I think the, the book opens with, 
the uh, phone, you know, a bespoke not uh, connection between New York and Chicago through the ground where people were, you know, buying up plots of land along the straightest route they could between New York and Chicago so that you weren't losing time um, on, you know, regular internet connections. Yes. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And then go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you finally realized that um, machine learning was your true passion, so to speak. And uh, how did you then get into the world of talent acquisition, which doesn't seem like a, an obvious crossover? Yeah, great question. So <laughs> um, the, the machine learning thing was consistent throughout. I knew that I love machine learning. Um, during my PhD, I was applying it in the medical sciences space. Then for those two years as a trader, I was applying it on financial markets, obviously. Um, when I became the yoga instructor for a bit, I met somebody who was this, had this job called data scientist, which I'd never heard of before. My plan actually, when I, my, my long-term plan when I quit trading, uh, was to go back to Canada and study medical school um, in Ontario around my family and wow. um, ideally do an MD. Like my, my plan throughout the PhD was always to do an MD afterwards and uh, be a medical researcher. Um, but I talked to lots of friends of mine who were doctors and they <laughs> I, could, I didn't find any that really recommended the career. <laughs> uh, and then <clears throat> simultaneously, I met somebody socially who had a similar background to mine. She had a PhD in medical sciences. She had worked um, as a, a she had worked at an exchange um, in in financial services after her PhD, and she was working uh, at the time that I met her at a medical startup called Zocdoc, which is very popular in the U.S. It's a platform for uh, finding a doctor or a dentist that's, you know, in your area and that accepts your kind of insurance and just kind of meets all the matching criteria that you're looking for. Um, so this was like a, you know, it, it, it had a real world impact. You were allowing people to find the care that they needed. And this company, ZocDoc, was hiring for a job called data scientist. Mm. So this was uh, 2014. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that term. But it turned out I was qualified for it. I was exactly uh, the kind of person that a, P a data scientist job description at that time was looking for. You know, quantitative uh, PhD, applying machine learning. Um, and so I thought, well, let me explore this option. Because if it turns out that I like being a data scientist, I can be earning a pretty good income and making a social impact immediately, like within weeks. Whereas if I go down the medical route, we're talking about it's going to be more than 12 months for me to write the MCAT and do application. It'll be two years before I start medical school right. down that road. <clears throat> and then another four years in medical school, then however many years of residency, depending on what specialization you take. So we're talking like on the order of 10 years before I'm making more money each month than I'm spending. <laughs> right. Yeah. When you put so, it like that. Yeah. So I was like, well, let's just try this data scientist thing. And I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I worked for a, a year or two at a big uh, mm. media company, Omnicom, where I was applying data science um, and machine learning to help pharmaceut 
pharmaceutical companies launch new drugs, which was really cool. At that time, we were uh, working um, on the very first immuno-oncology drugs, which were, um, they're, they're these uh, drugs that you take that allow your own immune system, if you have cancer, to identify the tumors uh, themselves. So your own immune system gets kind of supercharged to be able to identify tumors and attack those tumors itself. So it can be used standalone, or it could be used in combination with uh, radiation therapy or chemotherapy, depending on the cancer type. But it, it, it dramatically improves outcomes in a lot of cases. And it's a really cool innovation because it's much more targeted, like radiation, chemotherapy, these are just blunt instruments that are, yes. uh, that are causing a lot of damage to healthy tissue as well. But these immuno-oncology drugs were allowing your own immune system to, um, to, to target just the cancerous tissue. And so that was a really cool thing to be a part of. And while I was doing that, well, I absolutely loved it. If people from my time at Omnicom are listening to this, um, I loved working there. I loved everyone that I was working with. I loved the problems I was working on. Um, but I met someone at an Oxford alumni garden party in New York who was launching a startup. That guy's name is Ed Donner. And he was leaving JP Morgan to found a talent acquisition startup. He, at JP Morgan, he was a managing director um, on the risk team. He had something like 500 software developers that indirectly reported into him. And his biggest pain point in that role was hiring. Huh. So he created this company, Untapped, to automate uh, recruitment in the financial services industry, specifically recruiting software developers in financial services. And um, yeah, when he got his first, uh, his first funding, I joined him there as the chief data scientist. So that's, wow. that's how I got into this okay. kind of talent acquisition space. That is fascinating. And uh, that, uh, Omni, uh, was it Omnicom? That does sound cool. Um, by the way, I misspoke earlier when I said you, you shifted careers into machine learning. That was a continuous thread throughout. I, what I meant to say was you shifted into data science from, from right. trading. Yeah. So uh, I, I yeah, totally, yeah, yeah I, I get you. So, wow. So to what extent can you automate talent acquisition? I get, because this guess can be the first controversial statement of the day, right? Because we're talking to a bunch of recruiters. And of course, that's, I guess, the fear is that at somewhere along the line, you know, is, uh, is this career obsolete? And so you, your co-founder found a way to automate um, talent acquisition. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so um, so <clears throat> we we've gone on today. So now, so Ed and I, um, while we were working at Untapped, I wasn't a, a co-founder of Untapped. That was okay. Ed, um, but um, the the firm was acquired in 2020 by our second biggest client, a recruitment company based at that time in New York called GQR. And GQR is this really fast growing, there's something like for, for six out of the last seven years, they're one of the top 10 fastest growing recruitment companies in the US. And they have really amazing people. They're really hardworking. They're big on collaboration and tools, software tools to make recruiting easier. So it's about um, systems and software um, and collaboration. To, to allow to supercharge recruiters there. And there are also very smart, hardworking people that are there for sure as well. 
but it allows them to be tremendously successful, fast growing. And so they were our second biggest client. The CEO, Stephen Talbot of GQR, um, decided that he wanted to bring the talent and the intellectual property, the experience that we had and untapped um, in-house. And so in 2020, uh, GQR acquired uh, that company untapped. But then um, uh, more recently, Stephen, the CEO of the company that acquired us, Ed, the CEO and founder of the previous company, and myself, we've co-founded Nebula, uh, which you mentioned in the opening. Yep. And we've just gone to market now with uh, with our with our product in, in terms of being a standalone SaaS product. So you can go to nebula.io and try it out. So we are, you know, what is live today is like such a small fraction of the full vision, but it is already a platform that provides value because we've just launched. We've got absurdly <laughs> low prices to try to just get people in the door, uh, you know, with what we have today, but already kind of a common flow that we support would be when you're looking to hire for a role, whether it's as a hiring manager or as a recruiter, you probably instantly know the job title and some of the key skills. Mm -hmm. So with our generative AI models, you can plug that information in and you can do it in a natural language way where you can say, uh, you, you encounter uh, this, this search box um, to start your, your journey with mm-hmm. nebula.io and you can type in, find me a data scientist in New York who specializes in machine learning. And we will take that small amount of natural language that you provided. We will apply the kinds of filters to the search automatically. So you know we'll apply a 50 mile radius around New York and we will generate um, some, some key information based on the, the small amount of information you provided. So in that example that I gave, all the information that was provided about the talent that you're looking for is that you want a data scientist who specializes in machine learning. Mm-hmm. We will automatically expand that uh, within a few tens of seconds. We'll expand that into a short description of what we think someone like that would be doing in the role Mm -hmm. and also a list of skills a list of other relevant job titles Mm -hmm. and then we'll use that information to search over everyone in the u.s that has publicly available work information so it's over 100 million people that have that kind of information and we rank everyone in the u.s for that um uh, ai generated query that we generated and um, so, so you're with just a few seconds of effort typing, find me a data scientist in New York who specializes in machine learning. We use generative AI um, and some other machine learning models to automate, automatically curate your search in ways that are flexible to you if you want to make changes later on. Mm-hmm. And then instantly we rank uh, over 100 million people in the US. Uh, yeah, basically everyone with publicly available information for that role. And uh, we'll be expanding soon to other regions as well. Um, uh, and then once you have your list of results, you can add people to shortlists. Um, and we will provide, uh, we use additional data providers to provide information like for every individual, as well as at a, at a shortlist level or at a search result level, um, we will, based on people's job titles, years of experience, skills and location, 
we will estimate what their compensation should be. So we'll mm -hmm. give you a, a comp distribution. Um, and so you can see, okay, like this is what, if they're at the median, if they're at the 50th percentile based on, you know, their skills, location, years of experience, mm -hmm. um, job title, then they should be paid about this much or someone at the 90th percentile would be paid about this much. Mm -hmm. And so you get that kind of compensation information at, um, at an individual level as well as an aggregated level. Um, we pull in data on uh, diversity data based on your search. Um, we pull in yeah, lots of different kinds of, of these data sources to be able to provide you with a really rich set of information about your search. And then any individuals you like, um, we provide you with um, automated workflows. So like kind of drip campaigns to be able to message those people and a big next step for us that I'm super excited about, and then we're working on the data science R&D side of it right now, is we expect um, in the first half of 2024, maybe even the first quarter of 2024, um, we will automate the generation of the messages to the candidates that you like. So you'll come to your desk, open up the Nebula platform, will be automatically suggesting not just people for the roles that you're currently hiring for, so you'll kind of get a feed of, you know, here's some more people that we've, that we've just identified for your role X, for your role Y, for your role Z. And if you like them, you say, yes, you know, I'd like to just chat to this person. Not only will you have that kind of flow, which you already do today, mm -hmm. but in addition, we'll instantly generate a message for them. So based on the role that you're hiring for, mm -hmm. based on information on the person's publicly available uh, data, uh, potentially also private data. We could also combine, you know, private data that you have um, in with the public data. Mm. Um, but we can generate messages. So, you know, generate that initial message based on, yeah, information about the role, information about the person, potentially information about you, if you'd like that, or information yes. about your company. And we can be, yeah, so generate that initial message. You approve it, you send it, and then... Um, and, and this all happens like it's integrated with your Outlook or your Google inbox. So while this is all being orchestrated through Nebula, you're seeing the emails uh, come and go or the SMSs come and go yeah. on in, in your email platform or SMS platform. And then as the, as the candidate replies or doesn't reply, we will suggest appropriate follow-up messages at appropriate cadences. And so I'm really, really excited for that next step. And so I think that kind of gives you an overview of how there's so much opportunity for automation in recruitment. And so there's a human in the loop every step of the way. You add your special, you know, you can edit things. You are making the final decision on whether a candidate is appropriate or not. But we are, we're making the sourcing and messaging of candidates, the sourcing of, of candidates, the understanding of your searches and your candidates, as well as the engagement with your candidates as simple and automated as possible um, so that you can focus, so the recruiters can focus on building relationships as opposed to just, you know, trying to find people and type out the messages. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? 
Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Wow. Okay. Sign me up. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to start. So th that is uh, phenomenal, John. So in terms of generative AI, um, what other potential applications do you see for the recruitment industry? Yeah, I mean, so there's, <laughs> uh, we have, um, I, I jokingly call so Stephen Talbot, our CEO, he has, uh, I, I rib him sometimes about this gigantic, I call it this octopus that he has. So there's a platform called Whimsical that allows you to easily add nodes um, in kind of like a, like a tree structure. So you can kind of have a hierarchy of information and he has this gigantic, what I call octopus, with so many tentacles of all the aspects of uh, the recruitment process that can be uh, potentially automated or improved. And, and beyond that, I mean, his vision is beyond just recruiting, but it's about uh, helping people find work mm -hmm. and also volunteer opportunities that they love. Mm -hmm. um, so um, right now, our platform is, as I said, kind of at the outset of describing it, it's like this narrow set of that full octopus diagram. Yeah. And, um, and so right now we're focused on the recruiter side of things uh, with, with what's available right now. But simultaneously, uh, in the future, there's the candidate side of things. So having a candidate login, um, allowing them to make automated, where possible, adjustments to their resumes, mm -hmm. maybe their responses as well. So you're speeding up the whole flow. Mm. Um, and then you could also have, if you're a recruiter at an agency, you could have a, a client login uh -huh. as well. So that's kind of the third party, the th a third side to the platform yep. where the client is logging in and they can see for the role that you're recruiting for, they can see each step of the way, oh, this is how many people my agent um, has shortlisted. Yep. This is how many that they've contacted. This is who we've got. So it's, it's like, um, I don't know if you are familiar with like a Jira board concept. Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so you can kind of see like, so the client can see this Jira board and then you could even actually interactively, the recruiter, the agent could be working with the client to say, you know, uh, I thought that these five were great in the shortlist. Do you want me to contact them? You know, then, then you could interactively together or asynchronously kind of move the candidates along in the pipeline on this kind of Jira board style. Um, could you... Could you even yeah. like what well, this? Uh, the possibilities are blowing my mind here, John. So, could you even asynchronously interview the candidate? So, you're sort of like you send them a video, they say, Yes, I'm interested, send me more info. Then you send them a video about the job and say, like, If this appeals to you, then click this button. And there's a uh, like the first stage in the interview process is automated, and they need to do some videos 
you know, themselves. And then you goes back to the recruiter and then they're moved to the next stage, which is maybe a, an in-person or a Zoom interview or what have you. Absolutely. And there are platforms out there already that do that kind of thing. Um, mm. So that's not where we're concentrating our efforts yep. right now. I think that is definitely part of the big octopus vision. But something that's um, more immediately on our roadmap is just scheduling those interviews. So if you right. are assuming that there is going to actually be an interview as opposed to these kinds of automated interviews that you're describing, which in some kind of roles, you know, that is going to turn some people off. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, but so we're we're focused on automating the scheduling of that as well. Yep. So having a conversational agent that works um, initially two ways. Mm -hmm. So allowing the recruiter, the agent to be able to automate scheduling with the candidate. But um, then you could also have once that kind of client view, that third view into the platform is available, yep. you can have three-way um, calendaring handled, which is very complicated. And actually mm -hmm. we looked into we scoured to try to find an existing platform that does three-way coordination of interviews and couldn't find anything. So mm. that, that is something that's exciting for us. Oh, that's interesting. To, a, a gap to fill in. Yeah. John, what about like the process that you're applying for sourcing talent? Couldn't you also apply that same process for sourcing jobs and then, you know, matching the talent to those jobs so that the recruiter actually has both? Like if you're in an agency, you've got one workflow that is sourcing potential companies that are looking for data scientists, in your example, and then at the same time, you're sourcing data scientists, and then you're finding the, the matches. Absolutely, Mark. Yep. So that um, we do have a feed um, that is, it's a daily update of uh, what seems to be about 98% of the live jobs in the US at any given point. And we haven't surfaced that made it available in uh, the Nebula platform today in any way, but that absolutely the kind of thing that you're describing is on our mind. So there's, uh, there's the flow that you're describing where the agent is, um, is able to match automatically strong talent with great opportunities and then can reach out yes. to those clients. Um, so you could imagine, so the same kinds of analytics that we provide today on candidate search results we could also be providing on job search results and say, you know, for a candidate in this area that's looking for not a remote role, they're looking for a role, a role in this in this region, you know, say the New York area, um, and they're looking for based on their skills, years of experience. Uh, we estimate that their comp would be about this, and yes. so these are some appropriate jobs that would be a good fit for them yes. based on that location, based on uh, the skills they have, and so and also something that's key is throughout all of this. Uh, so the matching that we do on candidates today and that anyone can go and use for free right now in nebula.io, um, that kind of matching, um, as well as the matching that you're describing to jobs, um, it uses advanced, what we call natural language processing mm -hmm. that is not keyword based. So unlike all of the incumbent platforms that I'm aware of mm -hmm. for, uh, finding talent or finding jobs, they are based on keywords where you know you you craft a query and it maybe if they, when they get sophisticated you do them as a boolean query which i'm sure many of your listeners are familiar yeah. with where you have the ands and the ors and so going back to the untapped days when we had a much earlier so untapped was acquired in 2020 so around 2019 
we had a pretty well-developed matching algorithm using this natural language processing, the sophisticated natural language processing that was not keyword-based. Um, uh, so the kind of the the just the opposite to keyword-based search we would typically call like a semantic search mm -hmm. which means like it's based on understanding the meaning so this is kind of similar to a google search yep. where you can type in a word or a few words and google just doesn't just return results with that word or those few words it understands the semantic meaning of the query that you made and brings back results so we're doing the same kind of thing and so in 2019 to give you a um uh a, a, a quantitative validation of how much more powerful this is relative to keyword-based search. Um, a client of ours at Untapped at that time is one of the big, one of the world's largest microchip companies. And they, uh, they get several million applications a year to thousands of different kinds of jobs. Their internal recruiters have developed very sophisticated Boolean queries to mine these millions. So they have a database of the millions of people who have applied in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then they use these Boolean queries, or they had been before untapped, using these Boolean queries to uh, pull out talent that is relevant to particular roles that they're hiring for. And uh, they compared the results of their Boolean searches that they had honed over years relative to our semantic search out of the box. And our semantic search found more than 10 times as many of the best candidates. Wow. So they were, they were missing out on 90% of the talent who was in their database, talent who had applied to roles or that they'd met at careers fairs that were interested in working at their company. And uh, they were missing out on 90% of those people because they were using a keyword-based search as opposed to this kind of semantic search that we offer. Um, so that was a bit wow. of a tangent to say. <laughs> yeah. what, so yeah. my, my biggest takeaway from that is um, the part that recruiters hate and that they are frankly not good at of maintaining a database is making sure everything is coded correctly, tagged, categorized, you know, accurate, so that you can retrieve those records in a subsequent search, right? So what you're saying is music to recruiters' ears because you're like, wait, I don't need yeah. to do that anymore. No, that's a thing of the past. Okay. That's absolutely a thing of the past. Uh, you know, all of the, exactly, that, all of that, manual maintenance of all the tags, you know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You just, you have the candidate's resume and in natural language, you have your job description in natural language. And we give you a score out of a hundred as to how good of a match that candidate is for that role. And we have a patent on how we do that without incorporating historical biases against, um, underrepresented demographic groups. Ah. So, so, um, that, that is also a key here. Okay. Uh, Let's put a pin in that because I do want to come back to that. Um, how far away are we from getting to a point where the writing is actually really good? We're not far at all. So part of the trick to getting that tone right is providing examples of your writing. So I don't know if, that, if you've done that yet, but you can. So with um, uh, each of the big new OpenAI model releases yeah. have had much larger what we call context windows. Yeah. Um, so that's the amount of natural language that it can hold in its memory and, and do work with. Yeah. And so um, if you have a ChatGPT Plus subscription, yep, I do. which I think you'd be crazy not to yeah, <laughs> at exactly. this point, uh, it automates and makes my life easier in so many ways every day. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when you're in there today, um, at the time of recording, 
the most sophisticated model that we have access to is GPT-4. But at the time of recording, this week was OpenAI That's Dev right. Day, and they announced that GPT-4.5 yeah, is coming. And so it isn't anticipated that GPT-4.5 is going to be, uh, it, it's not expected to have capabilities beyond GPT-4, but it's expected to be faster, and therefore also it, it's going to require uh, a smaller model and, and, and be faster and cheaper for OpenAI to run. So it's advantageous for them yeah. to figure out how to kind of distill down the model weights into a smaller model architecture and be cheaper for them to run and faster for them to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the other really big part of that is that we go from, with GPT-4, the context window was 8,000 tokens, which is about 6,000 words, mm-hmm. Um, to over 100,000 tokens. So more than 10x uh, the amount of context and more than 100,000 tokens is, is an insane amount. I mean, you're, you're talking like 100 pages kind of order of, of size. Yeah. And so that would mean that you could provide you know, 10, 20 examples mm-hmm. of emails that are, you know, emails that you've written in the past yeah. that are the style that you'd like. And you can use that as context for, uh, for, for getting exactly the kind of tone that you want okay. in the message. So you're saying that's now, like we don't need to wait. As, as long as you are using the tool correctly, then you should be able to get generative AI messages that sound like an actual human being and mirrors yeah. your tone. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so, and then so the, the leap that we're uh, making right now with Nebula is that we are taking those kinds of capabilities and having them be in the regular flow of the other things that you're doing as a recruiter. So you don't need to be switching platforms. Uh, you don't need to be thinking as much about getting that context right because we'll be doing it automatically for you. So that idea that I just described to you mm-hmm. of providing all of those messages as context to uh, ChatGPT Plus in this mm-hmm. case, um, we would be doing that automatically for you in the flow of just finding talent and reaching out to talent. And so this is analogous to, um, at the time of recording today in episode number 730 of my podcast, Super Data Science, the guest is the COO of GitHub. His name is Kyle Daigle. And GitHub is uh, probably familiar to most of your listeners, but it is the open source Every, every open source project is in GitHub. It's yeah. the, it's, they have a monopoly on that. Um, they're owned by Microsoft now, um, but they had they launched so Microsoft now famously has their copilot for Office 365. Yeah. But a year or two earlier, GitHub had their copilot for helping software developers uh, you know finish a line of code, finish a paragraph of code, collaborate with teammates on reviewing code. And um, Kyle, in in the episode of my show that came out today, uh, made the point that makes so much sense to me that all of these gains from generative AI, they are are realized to their full potential when they happen in the flow of work. Mm. Um, And so to give an example, he cited an example uh, from research that GitHub had done where software developers in this survey indicated that the thing that they like most about their job is being able to learn new things. Mm-hmm. However, they simultaneously said that the thing that eats away most at productive time is mandatory learning and development. Hmm. And so the bridge is generative AI. It's in the flow tools like GitHub Copilot 
that allow the software developer to be learning and asking questions about code and and being instructed on new things right in the flow of their work. Mm. And so that we're trying, we are doing the same thing at Nebula with recruitment so that you don't have to go out to ChatGPT Plus and provide this context of messages and get it to be in the right tone. And there's nuance that we have to get right. And, you know, we're iterating and learning and working with users to get this right. But in, I expect the first half of 2024, we will have that kind of functionality working in the platform as part of your search where, yeah, the same kind of flow that I described earlier, where you, we suggest candidates to you based on the, the search that you did. Um, that search is assisted by generative AI, as I already described. And then the candidates that come back, top candidates that you like, you, you mark them as, as liked. Yeah. And then we automatically suggest the messaging. And based on messages that you've, you've created in the past, we can be getting that context right for you automatically, right in the flow of work. Uh, you're not context switching. You're not switching between tabs in your browser. It's all just happening for you automatically. And we're pushing this stuff to you. So instead of you needing to pull the information yes. out of your email platform and bring it over to ChatGPT+, we are sending you notifications however you like. It could be an email notification or um, you know, eventually like an app on your phone where it just you get a notification, hey, Nebula, uh, you got a response from a candidate. Nebula has suggested a response. You tap on your phone. Uh, to see what the uh, suggested response is, you edit it a little bit, or you just send it as is. And um, so we're 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 pushing all of this to you, making um, you know just staying motivated about this stuff easier. Wow, this sounds almost too good to be true, John. It's it's amazing. What um, and I'll tell you if if this gets gives uh, LinkedIn a run for their money, then recruiters will be um, will be cheering for you because. Well, that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's, that's our, you know, even though we just went to market um, with the, with our SaaS product about a month ago that, you know, th where, where for the first time you can just go to nebula.io, uh, create a free profile, try things out. And then if you like it, you can swipe your credit card right in the platform. Um, I guess you don't literally swipe. When you're, you <laughs> I know what in. you're in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, and so even though that's only been around for about a month, hmm. We have had a couple of salespeople for over a year reaching out to prospective individual or enterprise customers and trying to get feedback on demos of the platform. And it is, as you're describing, the, the messaging that has resonated most in those emails is kind of like, aren't you tired of LinkedIn recruiter? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that, that kind of messaging uh, is, in my understanding, uh, from our kind of our, our, our sales decks and our sales team. That's the kind of message, messaging that resonates most. Because, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they, they are using kind of antiquated ways of doing things. I've, I've used it myself mm. and found that it's mind-blowingly, like, compute-intensive. Um, and, uh, and, and ultimately, there's a huge amount of opportunity now. Now, I was talking about GitHub, who are owned by Microsoft. Yeah. LinkedIn, also owned by Microsoft. Yeah. And 49% of OpenAI is owned by Microsoft. So, you know, we are certainly aware at Nebula that uh, I'm sure there's people, I'm sure there's, uh, AI engineers working on some of the things that I'm describing, uh, for, for Nebula, um, at LinkedIn. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a race. It's, uh, it's amazing. These kinds of the functionality, the capabilities that, um, these proprietary models like OpenAI unleash for us 
is remarkable, but it means that there's, you know, it, it makes our life a lot easier for getting generative AI tools, at least prototyped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it, but it does for all of our competitors as well. Um, now we do actually at Nebula, we take open source generative AI models like Meta's Llama 2, okay. for example. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And we fine tune it um, using proprietary data that we have as well as proprietary methodologies. And so we are able to do some things in our platform that even GPT-4, uh, which is the leading proprietary LLM today, cannot do. Um, so for example, when I describe to you uh, that capability where you just come into our platform, type a natural language uh, sentence like the example I gave was find me a data scientist in New York yeah. uh, with machine learning experience. The conversion of that into a search with filters set appropriately with great natural language that will bring back a great candidates based on that uh, initial search, uh, GPT-4 can't do that. Um, and so there are there still are opportunities for startups like us in generative AI to be creating a moat with our intellectual property. Um, Although a lot of people will tell you that the, the best moats uh, in this fast-moving AI space are with data more so than with the models. Um, what do you mean by that? So, so what I mean is that because the modeling capabilities move so rapidly, where the companies that we call super scalers, like OpenAI, and their big competitors right now are, are Anthropic yeah. and Cohere. Okay. And so those three companies <clears throat> are these super scalers that are 10xing, 100xing the size of the models. And that's how you get like the, the delta in capabilities from GPT-3 yes. to GPT-4 is like roughly by 10xing the amount of compute and 10xing the amount of high quality data that went into training these models. Yes. And so it means that it's difficult to compete against companies like that that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars, soon billions of dollars, on just the compute cost for an individual model. Yes. Um, so it's difficult for generative AI companies to compete uh, or to be confident in competing long-term on models. It's hard to have a moat there, but you can compete on data. So OpenAI, Anthropic, Cohere, they are probably not going to be interested in uh, what we call the application layer yes. of like like Nebula is of servicing recruiters like your listeners and allowing them to automate parts of their role. Um, so, you know, but in the process of building our company and getting more users, we get more data, things like what kinds of emails are going to get a great response yes. in this particular industry. And so uh, those kinds of data allow us um, and other generative AI companies in whatever industry to, to build them out. Okay, that, would be amazing because um, right now we and our clients are using, you know, platforms that allow you to send automated email sequences, for example, but they don't tell, they don't give you data from all of their users to say, you know, hey, this is working. We suggest you do this or change that, right? You're kind of in a vacuum by yourself. You can do your own testing. You can do your own A-B testing. You can look at your past results. You can look at how can I improve my open rate, improve my response rate. But that would be powerful for the platform itself to tell you, you know, give you data-backed insights to increase your success. Exactly. Like, what is the right amount of time to reply to an email in this particular industry? Yeah. Um, 
or yeah, yeah. So the, exactly those kinds of insights. Um, and there's, uh, we've been talking about the generative AI for a while, yeah. but we just before we came back to generative AI, um, there's, uh, I, there's, there's some points that that came to mind for me that I'd like to make about the matching that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, Cause sure. we actually, we, we'd gone off on a tangent and they'd gone off onto generative AI, but there's, there was an amazing idea that you suggested earlier that I want to make my way back to, which is that, um, with, uh, these kinds of semantic search algorithms that I was describing mm-hmm. that are bringing back based on the example that I provided you with that previous client, 10 times or more of the most relevant candidates relative to a keyword search. Um, another advantage of that kind of semantic search is that your results come back ranked. So when you do a Boolean search or a keyword-based search, you're just getting back people that are hits right. or not hits. That's true. Whereas with this kind of, with our algorithm, at least, maybe not with all semantic search approaches, but with our algorithm in Nebula, you're getting people ranked. And the higher their ranking is, the more likely they are to be a great fit for the role. So you're not starting arbitrarily mm. working through, if you imagine it was like a stack of papers, instead of me handing you a stack of papers, a hundred papers and saying, hey, here's a hundred resumes. Yeah. These are a hundred people that have machine learning written on their resume. I'm stacking those hundreds, uh, those hundred papers and saying the top person is most likely to be the best fit for your role. And then the second person. And so you might just looking through the top 10 or the top 20 or the top 30, find all of the, the talent that you need to satisfy your pipeline at that time. Yes. You don't need to go through all of the hundred and wonder, I wonder if the best person is at the bottom because <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably not. Um, so, so that's another advantage of the matching that I just wanted to, to get into there, which, which isn't, um, although we can use generative AI to support the search, the actual ranking itself doesn't actually involve any generative AI. Um, but the, um, uh, where I was going to with that is that um, what God is talking about matching is you were talking about um, recruiters being able to merge mm-hmm. the, not just all the candidates out there, but also all the jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And so this same semantic, that's how I got talking about the semantic searching, is that semantic searching can be uh, for any great candidates that have been identified by our algorithm yeah. that then you like. Um, we can then be exactly the thing, suggesting relevant openings and doing the kinds of analytics that we currently do on, on candidates. So the kinds of analytics that are relevant on candidates that we already provide to you today in the Nebula platform are things like compensation, um, geographic information, that kind of summary information we can provide you on candidates. You could also, in this future vision, we can be providing you um, key summary stats on the jobs, which includes obviously like what kinds of industries are hiring this kind of top talent you had, what specific companies are hiring this top talent that you have. Yes. And that allows you to very rapidly have a short list of companies to reach out to as potential new clients and just as with all the other stuff that I've been describing today, we can be creating the generative AI. We can be using generative AI to craft that outreach message to that prospective new client to say, hey, uh, I've got candidate X, maybe candidate X, Y, and Z, who are all great fits for roles X, Y, and Z that you have open. Um, And then you can have stored, just as we were describing with the context windows, you can have stored information about your agency that's like, you know, the successful things you've had in the past, the awards you've won or whatever. And those are seamlessly 
integrated into this reach out email to the client. Um, and it has the kind of tone that you like and have had success with in the past. That's amazing, John. And so look, it's pretty mind blowing, even just the stuff you're talking about, which is either you're currently doing or is imminent or it's in your, um, in your roadmap. What's like, what, what do you see happening three years from now, five years from now in terms of where this could ultimately, you know, develop? Yeah, so it's pretty wild um, how quickly things are moving because of these superscalers like OpenAI, Anthropic, and Cohere. So um, in the spring of last year, at least at the time of recording, I don't know exactly when this episode will be up, but in the spring of 2022, I did a TEDx talk at Drexel University in Philadelphia. And the whole point of that talk um, was to put you, was to put the listener in awe of how rapidly technology is advancing. Mm. And I, ma I make the case that based on the number of human brains and the amount of spare time that we have for doing cognitive tasks, uh, and the way that the human brains are connected together, this provides an unprecedented, it, it means that innovation is happening far faster than ever. But then there's also, combined with human intelligence, there is this artificial intelligence that because of vastly more data that are available to it, vastly cheaper compute, vastly cheaper storage, we're able to superscale relatively simple modeling ideas. Like the, the modeling ideas behind GPT-4, um, behind Anthropics Claude, it's all the same idea. And it's not that complicated. It's mostly an engineering problem of how can we do 10 times more of this? Or how can we get 10 times more clean data mm -hmm. to train the model? Um, so we have yeah, these human intelligence as well as this artificial intelligence factors um, that are have a multiplicative effect with each other in terms of how fast innovation is changing. And so if you had asked me in the spring of 2022, mm -hmm. when I gave this talk, if in our lifetime, we would have if, if you listed some of the things that GPT-4 can do today, mm -hmm. and you asked me, will we have an AI algorithm in our lifetime that can do these things? I would have said, that might be a stretch. Wow. There are some, there are some crazy things that you're, that you're describing, this hypothetical GPT-4 yes. doing. And I, I don't know if that's possible in our lifetime with AI. Wow. And a year later, in March of 2023, GPT-4 was released and had those capabilities and it completely blew my mind. I mean, that for me, the release of GPT-4 flipped me from being skeptical about us having machines that are more intelligent than humans in every imaginable way in our lifetime, from being skeptical about that possibility to thinking it's more, more, much more likely than not in our lifetime. And some people uh, who spend a lot more time thinking about this than I do, I do think that on that kind of 10-year time frame, it's somewhat pr probable. Wow. Um, so on that kind of timeline, it gets pretty tough, it's pretty tough to predict how much different work could be. I mean, it's conceivable then, maybe not the most probable outcome, but maybe there's a 10% chance that in 10 years, all kinds of cognitive work can be outsourced to machines. Yeah. And maybe the, the robotics will catch up maybe uh, rapidly because of the machines kind of 
figuring out robotic solutions quickly. And so maybe, yeah, we're, we're maybe we're not far away from all kinds of work uh, being automated. And then that paired with hopefully figuring out nuclear fusion energy mm-hmm. um, means that we could potentially, you know, maybe a 10% chance in the next 10 years uh, or maybe like a 30% chance in the next 20 years or 50% in 30 years, that those kinds of rough probabilities in my mind, we could be realizing a utopia um, where, you know, you get to do what you want. You earn some kind of uh, universal basic income kind of thing that is quite generous, that you don't feel like you're wanting for anything material. And you're able to spend your time with your loved ones doing sport or arts or athletics. Uh, what sport and arts, athletics are the same. You're getting a bit of my bias there. Uh, but uh, sport or arts or socializing. Um, and, and it would have to be done in a way where we also simultaneously, you know, we, we still learn things and we feel like we are, like there's meaning to life. Um, you know, we're not just... Yeah, uh, absolutely. Know, because yeah. actually work is more fun to me than any of those other things pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. time with my family. Yeah, uh, of course. But any other hobby or, you know, pursuit, I don't get as much fulfillment as I do from doing this. So, yeah. Yeah, but but that could be. I yeah. mean, I'm sure there'll still be, you know, there would be probably, you know, a place where people would still probably enjoy knowing that there's a real human behind a podcast. Right. Uh, and that, you know, they could meet you in person. So even though, and this, I mean, I'd say in 10 years, will it be possible to have the audio and the video of an hour long podcast be completely automated and compelling? Yeah, I'd say that's, that's not like 10%. That's like 75% kind of probability. Um, but can I just challenge that, John? Because here's the thing. Yeah. Um, do I want to listen to two machines talking to each other? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. That's, so that's what I'm, so I'm saying that even though a machine could do it, yeah. I think people will still prefer yeah. that a human does it because they can meet you, Mark, at a conference. Yes. They can phone you up. They can, you know, there's, there's so th- the point that I'm getting to is that I think you'll be able to do things that you love, like podcasting. Um, and, but, but yeah, but, but again, you know, you're I, I asking you're about saying. recruiting. I get yeah. what you're saying. I, and, I guess what I, where I'm going is, um, what I love about this conversation, John, is the story about John Crone, who was, uh, a high frequency trader and then decided that wasn't fulfilling and the pursuit of money as an object in itself. And you took a break and did yoga and then you be, got into data science. There's no way that an AI would come up with that story, right? That real human story of somebody's, you know, um, personal transformation. Do you know what I mean? So, because that story is unique to you and that's a human experience. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly is unique from, you know, my experience of it, but, you know, could a machine, I, I'm, not sure, I, I'm not sure if you're saying that could a machine like make up that story? A oh, machine yeah. could make up that sure, story. Sure, a machine yeah, yeah, could yeah. make it up, but but, <laughs> but would it? Like, would it? Oh, oh, it, like right. in yeah. the if, yeah. Anyway, look, uh, John, you're a fascinating guy. I could talk to you for another hour, um, but I know you have another appointment you need to jump onto. So, yeah. well, I'll I'll with a minute or two left. Yeah. There's you asked a question I didn't really answer. Okay, it. so you your your last big question there was how are technologies like AI, maybe particularly generative AI, going to change recruiting yes. 
in the next three, five, 10 years. And then, then I went off on the big like 10% <laughs> probability of utopia in 10 years thing. But realistically, uh, especially on the shorter time scales, like three, five years, um, there, there isn't really any chance of recruitment being fully automated. And so what's going to happen is companies like Nebula um, and, and of course, incumbents like LinkedIn are going to incorporate more and more automation, particularly generative AI, to automate the parts of your job that can be so that things like sourcing candidates and stacking them in the right order and, and drafting the initial message to them and drafting responses, these things in three years, I, I hope that most of your listeners are experiencing that kind of automation from platforms like Nebula in three years from now. But that will leave you as the recruiter to provide a huge amount of value, just as the human podcaster, Mark, can continue to be interesting in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, no matter what happens with machines, so too will a human looking for purpose in their work prefer to be speaking to a real human that they can meet with and get human advice from and context from. And so these things, while some of those, those conversations could be automated in three years or five years, People will want the human interaction. Um, just as a radiologist today, in a lot of cases, a machine can do a better job of reading the scan. Mm. That augments the radiologist. That allows the radiologist to have more confidence or ideas about how to diagnose a patient. But 90% of their time is not looking at scans and trying to identify whether a tumor is, or there, is there or not. 90% of the time is spent on the phone with the insurance company or uh, talking to patients. And so all of those human interaction elements that uh, recruiters are so good at, they will still get to, to shine in those and, sh and shine better than ever before. Well said, John. In fact, I, I noticed one of the taglines on the Nebula website is that Nebula humanizes uh, or elevates human experience, I think. So could you just say briefly how an AI platform will elevate human experience? Yep. I can actually give you a really good example from, again, medical research, which is new that just came out, which is that when you think about that radiologist, but it could be any medical professional, they, they are really pressed for time. Yeah. <laughs> they are mm. trying to get to the next patient. So what they say to patients, what they write in patients' reports is as terse as possible yeah. as they can get away with. And they try to be a little bit empathetic, a little bit compassionate, but it's hard because mm. you... You've got to move on to the next task. A machine can take the time to write a message to a patient or to the patient's family that is really thoughtful hmm. and all-encompassing and sounds empathetic, as I'm sure many of your interactions with ChatGPT Plus have been. You get this, you, it reflects back at us the ideal of how we want a human, or in this case, a physician, to respond. And so what's, what this recent study has shown is that people strongly prefer and find far more human the, uh, the message from the generative AI tool than from the actual physician. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. John, uh, I loved this uh, conversation. I would encourage people to go check out nebula.io and um, you know, I can't wait to see where this, uh, where this takes us. But John, Let's definitely talk again. I've really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, would love to, Mark. Uh, anytime you're ready, when you feel that the audience is right, uh, I would be delighted to come back on air. Yeah, really amazing show, amazing host, um, and really enjoyed our conversation today. Anytime you want, I'm back. Thank you, sir. Have an awesome day. I'll speak to you again. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.